Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiedman. And the theme I would like to discuss today is prayer. I'm sure there were times in life when you perhaps felt that urge to pray for some reason or another. Maybe it was you were inspired by beholding some beautiful, breathtaking view. You're standing at the peak of a mountain. You're there on Table Mountain, Lion's Head. You're taking in the exhilarating view below you. you say, wow, that is awesome. Maybe it was sparked by nobility when you're touched by the humble kindness of a sincere, caring person in your life. Or perhaps it was triggered by angst or fear. We reach out to God out of desperation, scrambling for support, begging, beseeching the Almighty to help us, to take us out of this impossible situation. Or maybe you were aroused by gratitude, relief, realizing all the good that our lives are blessed with and thanking God for the blessings we have in our life. Regardless of whether your prayers were prayers of all requests, gratitude, whatever it was, the main theme, the common denominator, the, the characteristic that's in all forms of prayer is communicating and connecting with a reality, with God, regardless of the circumstances that perhaps trigger that prayer. If you think about prayer, it's kind of funny. What's the point of prayer? From the human standpoint, from our vantage point, from our perspective, prayer is an artistic form of expressing our feelings to God. But what does prayer look like from God's standpoint? Is Hashem listening to our prayers? If we praise God, does the Almighty take pride in the prayers and the praise and the gratitude? If we thank Hashem, is is God appreciative? If we request, will the Almighty answer? Something to think about. Hey, you know the story they tell about a rabbi who dedicates his entire Rosh Hashanah sermon to the importance of prayer and he's encouraging all of his congregants, you have to pray three times a day and he guarantees them God will answer their prayers. There's one kid in the shul, poor kid, he really wants a bike so badly or who knows what toy the kid was seeking. So he prays every day. But unfortunately, he didn't get the toy he really so desperately wanted. So he turns to the rabbi, he says, I've been praying to God and God's not answering my prayers. The rabbi says, nah, my kid, I'm sure God did listen to your prayers. And God answered your prayers. Just looks like God's answer is no. That's one good old story. The other one that comes to mind is of the fellow who's been at the Kotel every day the past 54 years since the liberation of Jerusalem in the Six Day War in 1967. And one day, recently, a journalist, uh, a news reporter was asking him, No, tell us, what's it like? You've been praying at the Wailing Wall all these years. Give us some kind of description. And the man goes on, Yes, I've been praying here 54 years. 
So it's amazing. What do you pray for? He said, I pray for peace between the Jews and the Arabs. I pray for all the hatred to stop, for all of our children to grow up in safety and friendship. So no, how to tell us, how do you feel after praying like this for all these years? Guy says, feels like I'm talking to a wall. Of course, it's not, you know, we could joke, but in all seriousness, philosophers, Jewish ones, no less, have questioned this idea, the notion of prayer for centuries. The problem these thinkers dealt with was reconciling the stories of the Torah with Judaism's belief in a perfect God. There's no question from their perspective that Judaism believes in the power of prayer. The Torah relates many instances of effective prayer. Just look at the Torah portions we're reading currently. Avraham and Sarah, they prayed for a child. Yitzchak and Rivka prayed for children. Moshe Rabbeinu begged God to forgive the Jewish people after sinning with the golden calf. In, in our parsha, in Vayetze, this week we also read about prayers. In all of these episodes, their prayers were answered. Sarah Imenu eventually fell pregnant and she bore Yitzchak Avinu. Rivka Imenu eventually bore her children, Yaakov and Esau. And of course, God forgave us for the heinous sin, the betrayal of our relationship when we committed the sin of worshiping a golden calf. What a terrible debacle. And of course, we have Yom Kippur ever since then. Day of Atonement. But what does this all say about God? Is God susceptible to change? Is God vulnerable to impression? That would seem to be, you know, straight out of, you think about that, that that's like straight out heresy. How could we think that we're able to change God's mind? How could any believing person even entertain the notion that God can be impacted and influenced by anything? So my friends, let me share with you a beautiful insight from Rabbi Yosef Albo, a very famous Spanish rabbi who lived in the 16th century, or 15th century rather. And he asks this question in his famous book, Sefer HaIkarim, the Book of Fundamentals. And he explains this, he grapples with this concept. He questions the notion of prayer as requesting things from God. He says, you think about the notion of prayer as as praise or thanksgiving, does God really need our praise? The praise of, of mere mortal homo sapiens, finite human beings? Does, does God gain any pleasure from our thanks? Is God gratified by our praises? Can he really be? Does that make any sense? If after all, you look at the words that we express in some of our prayers that were nothing in God's eyes. We say this every day in, in the morning prayers. So how can that, how can that make a difference to the Almighty that we praise them? Have you ever seen an ant trap between little twigs? The ant tries all these different routes to escape that little ant jail. Say you're in an extremely compassionate mood and you took interest in the plight of the struggling members of the ant kingdom. You move the sticks out of the way, saving the ant 
immense time and heartache in allowing it to reach its destination. The ant is so grateful for your kindness, for the next two weeks it doesn't stop singing your praises. Would you care? Would it make a difference to you? Will its praise make you feel valued? Will you take pride in your achievement that you rescued an ant? If we are insignificant compared to God, why should the Almighty value our praises and thanks? Why should our thanks be appreciated? Why should the things we praise God for our finite ant-like world, should that make him proud? My friends, this is a question many people have asked long before us. And in fact, in the book of Eov, this line is one that's quoted in the Bar Mitzvah Mimer, if you are righteous, what have you given him? What benefit can there be in our behavior before God? And the same way that we don't expect God to value our righteous acts, should we expect God to appreciate our kind words? Regardless which prayer, if you're if it's a request or praise or thanks, what, what's it all about? Why do we do it? We say that prayer is so central to the Jewish way of life. But when you drill down into it, the whole notion doesn't really make a lot of sense. Regardless of how you view prayer, whether it's Thanksgiving requests, asking God for our things, praising Hashem. How do we think? that God is impacted by our prayers. Hold that thought, and we will be right back to discuss exactly this. We will explore it when we're back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, my friends, here to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman, Director of Chabad Seniors Programs, as well as the Santon Central Shul. And so, today we're talking about prayer. We've discussed, we've asked questions about prayer. And let's explore the idea. You know, in Jewish tradition, we obviously pray three times a day. Shachris Mincham Morning, afternoon, and evening, that itself is an acronym of the word Shema, Shachrit, Mincha, Arvit. And actually, the custom of this really comes from our Parsha this week, the portion of Ayetze. Let's think, just look at the Parsha. Remember last week we read about Yaakov and Esau, the twins, whom Yitzchak and Rivka prayed to be blessed with children. And finally, they have these two sons. And Shockingly, they're worlds apart from each other. And they got into this dirty fight. Asa was the older of the two, and he enjoyed the firstborn rights, including the right to receive the firstborn's blessings from their father, from Yitzchak Avina, before he passed away. But Asa wasn't the spiritual type. He was more than happy to sell his firstborn rights to Yaakov in exchange for some food that he got, some lentil soup. Having legally acquired his older brother's firstborn rights, Yaakov entered Yitzchak's room, his tent, his dwelling, and he goes to get the firstborn blessings. That's what we read last week in the Torah. And Esav got wind of this. He was enraged. He was angered. 
he changed his mind. Now he wanted his father's blessings. And even though it was too late, he decided to exact retribution, to take revenge from his younger brother. So Yaakov fled his parents' house, the town of Be'er Sheva. He's running for his life. It's interesting, those very first words of the Parsha. That Yaakov left his home, his parents' house in Be'er Sheva, and goes to Haram. What difference does it make where he's leaving from? But our sages tell us, when a righteous person leaves a place, there's a Roshim, a mark, a, a impact, an impression that's left. The question we have to ask ourselves, they say, some people bring joy wherever they go, while others unfortunately bring the joy whenever they go. Which one are we? Do we bring joy to wherever we go? Or are people happy that we've gone? Well, my friends, this is our Parsha's discussion. The Torah says, Yaakov left from Be'er Sheva, he goes to Haran. Where's Haran? It's in present modern day Turkey. The trip from Be'er Sheva, which is southern Israel, if you're familiar with Israeli geography, it was a long, arduous trip. And presumably Yaakov slept many nights, as the Torah describes, protected by the rocks on the side of the road. But as the story continues, this particular night, leaving from southern Israel, Sheva, on his way towards Turkey, towards Haran, was quite a unique night. Yaakov went to sleep. And he dreamed of a ladder connecting heaven to earth. Of angels, climbing and descending. That's God's protection. And he wakes up and he formed a pact with God. He said, I will be trustful to you and you will protect me until I return home safely. Now, of course, the commentators pick up on the Torah's use of the language here. And it says, Vayif which we translate as, he chanced, he arrived at this place. So, that's in our Parsha, in the context, the way it makes sense. But I want to quote you another verse in the book of Yirmiyahu of Jeremiah the prophet, where he says, Al tispalel ba'ad ha'om hazeh, God says to Jeremiah, don't pray on behalf of this nation, this people. And don't lead them in prayer. And then he says, God says, do not tifga, do not plead with me. Because I do not listen to you. Now in this verse, the word tifga, yeah, Vayifka in our parsha of And in this reading from Yermiyahu, chapter 7, verse 16, the word Tifka means to plead. Do not plead with me, God is saying. Same exact root letters as Vayifka. Pei, Gimel, and Ayin. So instead of translating our verse as Yaakov arrived at Mount Moriah, which we translated as another way to understand it is that Yaakov pleaded to God at Mount Moriah and that's exactly how Rashi explains the word that Yaakov arrived at this place or 
that Yaakov prayed at this place, which is at Hara Maria, which was the future Temple Mount. Rashi, in fact, tells us, Rabbi Seinu short sages tell us, what does this mean? It means he prayed at this place. So if you think about it, the prayers that we say, Shachris, which was established by Avraham Avinu, Yitzchak was introduced and instituted by Yitzchak Avinu. The Gemara tells us, based on this, that Yaakov, since he prayed at night there, that Yaakov instituted the evening prayers. And in fact, in our Sidurim, some of the prayers, you know, each of the prayers are unique. Each prayer looks different. Shachris is by far the longest. Mincha wins the prize for being the shortest. Mayrev is somewhere in the middle. It reminds me, if you ever find yourself in the Santon Central area anytime around 6 p.m. these days, please come join us from Mincha and Mayrev together, all in half an hour, sandwiched with some words of inspiration, and optional, optionally preceded by Torah study before or after with myself or any of the rabbinic students. So you're welcome to come join us for a minion anytime. Come pray before you play. Regardless of the lengths of the prayers though, they all share the same central prayer, which is the Amida. A little bit of the Amida means standing, right? We stand for these 18, which is now 19 blessings. We say it as we stand. What's the Amida all about? Why is that the central prayer? Why does, why do we say the Amida three times every day? Maimonides explains the core mitzvah of prayer and how the Amida actually encapsulates it. Let me share with you what Rambam says in his Mishnah Torah, the laws of prayer, chapter one. He says, Chiyuv mitzvazu, the daily obligation of prayer includes three elements. What are they? Number one, praising God. Number two, requesting our personal needs. And number three, thanking God for all the good that God has blessed us with. Says Rambam, every person should use this formula to pray according to their capacity. The first three blessings of the Amida are praises of God. The last three blessings of the Amida are prayers of thanks. And the middle 13, <clears throat> that's where we have, where we insert our personal requests, whatever they might be. Now the Jewish prayers actually go all the way back to the times of Ezra and Nehemiah. That's the time when the Jews returned to Israel after the destruction of the first temple. And Ezra and Nehemiah, they formulated the prayer then. So Maimonides is explaining that they formulated it in this way, that you have the praise, requests, and thanks. But a challenge arose after the temple's destruction and after Jews were exiled and dispersed around the world. As the exiled Jews, they had children and they're raising them amongst their host nations. So now they're, they're no longer fluent in the original Hebrew language that their parents spoke back in Israel. In fact, as immigrants and subjects of constant migration and relocation, think even in my own life, my father migrated from Russia to America. I moved from America to South Africa. It seems like the Jewish thing to be constantly on the move. Luckily, between America 
and South Africa, there's not much of a language barrier. But certainly for my father moving from Russia to America, there definitely was a big gap in language. Luckily, as Jewish people, we don't only speak Russian, Afrikaans, or English. We also have our own languages, Hebrew, Yiddish. Well, if the original prayers were in a Hebrew, the adapted prayers were spoken in and borrowing language and terms from the new languages that the people spoke. And if you think about the way we converse every day, we speak to each other in languages we understand. But when we're standing before the Almighty, the people back then, they felt ashamed to speak in the colloquial language. T- to pray in a, in a garbled language, they felt what it wouldn't be appropriate. And so what did Ezra, as the leader of the Jewish people in that time, he composed the Amida prayer as a central prayer that all can say. And he followed this formula. He structured the Amida to include praises, requests, and thanks to God. By doing so, he enabled the Jews who were born in exile that they could pray to God. He gave those Jews the language, empowering them to offer their prayers to God. Three times a day, as was initiated, instituted by our forefathers, they used the words of the Amida to offer their prayers to God. And so we ask, regardless which aspect of prayer, whether we're praising or thanking or requesting, what effect, if any, does it have? Now, of course, we know that our prayers incorporate these three facets, these themes, but why? So let's understand prayer. To, to answer, to, to properly understand it, let's discuss this. What's the Hebrew word for prayer? Tefillah. But what does tefillah actually mean? Tefillah doesn't mean to pray, even though that's the word, that's the Hebrew word for prayer. Tefillah actually, it comes from a, the Gemara tells us, it's related to the word Hatofel Klicheres, one who attaches plaster to a clay vessel. The idea Tofel, which means to attach, our sages tell us that Tefillah, besides for prayer, it more literally means to connect. That's the Jewish concept of prayers, to connect. Just as you and I want to connect, we go out for a coffee together. Well, you want to connect to God. Spend some time in prayer. But what does prayer mean? Prayer comes from the Latin word precarious, which means obtained by entreaty, entreating the Almighty. So it's me who's entreating Almighty God. And I guess that's precarious. Hopefully Almighty God will look down from on high, take interest in my problems, will help me out. But Notice the Jewish word for prayer, which is tefillah, means to connect. We're connecting with Hashem. We each possess a soul that identifies with God and craves to be close and connected with Hashem. But the soul is chained to a body and all the daily material pursuits that come along with it. 
Prayer is the soul's time to reconnect with its source. Jewish prayer isn't primarily about getting things from God. It's about seeking God, discovering God, communicating with Hashem. So the prayer experience isn't only a means to an end. What can I get out of it? It's an end in itself. Even if a person has no requests of God, everything is good. We still pray because this is about reconnecting with Hashem. Now let's just think for a moment about the Amidah. It's three forms of prayer, praising, requesting, and thanking God. Those are all ingredients that help feed our soul's connection with Hashem. Let's, let's think about that. By nature, humans are wired to feel independent of, in, in fact, entirely unaware of God. The world around us is imminent, it's tangible, it's real. God seems transcendent, non-tangible, not that real. Only through intellectual, intellectual and philosophical thought, we get into, we meditate or, or speculate, contemplate on, on the existence of God. If we really emotionally reflect, do we become aware of God's presence in our life? And even when we do, our beliefs or feelings run against the way we naturally feel. This is one of the perpetual inner conflicts of a believer. Naturally feeling one thing, I'm an autonomous, independent being, but thinking and acting according, you know, in another way. For a human being to request something from God is a huge leap. It requires humility and bravery. It means that I acknowledge that God, who I don't see, hear, or feel, is the source of my blessing in life. Not my talents, my skills, my hard work. Those are just vessels through which God provides the goods. That's why I ask God for His help. Because without it, my endeavors are futile. When we pray to God, asking Him for blessings in our life, we develop, we, we, cult, we cultivate, we nurture our awareness of our dependency on Him. And that's exactly why our prayers get answered. Because if, if God is unchanging, how do we hope to change God's mind through our words? And one way of looking at it is that we indeed aren't changing God's mind, but we do change ourselves through prayer. And that's what changes our own fortune. Because by us, changing ourselves, perhaps now we're deserving of our prayers to be answered. Here's a, a, a very interesting analogy from the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov taught that through prayer, we connect to a much higher, more loftier place. We become like a whole new person. And therefore, this new person is deserving of these particular blessings in their life. So it's not necessarily we're changing God's mind, we're changing ourselves. The Bashant have given an example, you know, most governments when they're collecting taxes, you know, they use, most governments use tax brackets to determine how much each person needs to pay in their taxes. So if you're in a lower income tax bracket, then chances are that you'll be required to give a much smaller percentage of your income to taxes. This is all SARS business. If you're in a higher income bracket and have more money to spare, then SARS is going to bill you and charge you more because it's all like a sliding scale.
So say that, I don't know, last year, two years ago, you were in a lower tax bracket and you're only required to give, say, 10% of your income to SARS. Now you were more successful the next year. So now you moved up to 15 or 20%. Did SARS change their mind about how much percent tax you have to pay? Or did your income change so automatically changed your status according to SARS predetermined categories? You understand? So the same is true of God's blessings and the way that prayer affects them. Excuse my use of technical language, but hopefully we'll clarify the idea. God might allot five tiers of blessings to a given person. That individual's spiritual worthiness will determine the tier of blessing that they'll actually receive. And this is where prayer comes in. Prayer doesn't change God's mind. The Baal Shem Tov is telling us that it changes us ourselves. And so we become worthy of more blessing. Requesting things of God feeds our awareness of our dependency on Hashem. It brings us closer. That's the idea of tefillah. To connect, to come closer to God. And so we're inviting greater blessings into our life. And so that's the idea. I hope it's a little bit more clear. The idea, the core mitzvah we said of prayer is number one, that we request our needs of God. We we praise God. We thank God. And so, understanding the history of prayer, hopefully we get a better appreciation of the concept of what prayer is about. And we'll be right back. And we'll continue to understand the other angles and aspects of prayer when we're back. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9. Hi FM, I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. And let's continue our discussion. What do we think we're trying to do with these three elements of prayer? Can we really change God's mind? That's the question we've been asking. And we start with the first notion, the idea of requesting our needs from God. We understand that prayer isn't so much about asking God to change, but rather, as we discussed before, it's a method for us to change, as the Baal Tov explained, that we become worthy of God's blessings. And so the idea that about prayer is the notion that we are seeking to create a connection to God. That's the Hebrew word for prayer, tefillah, which means a connection. And we said that the three components of prayer, the idea of requesting our needs of God and praising Hashem and thanking Him is what brings it all together. And so, my friends, despite the virtue of vulnerability, the habit of asking things of God that, that we nurture within ourselves, at the end of the day, asking certainly feels somewhat self-centered. We're only turning to God for our own benefit. <coughs> now, obviously, that's certainly a step, but it's only the first. It's only the beginning. The second level of prayer is thanking God for the blessings that God has given us. When it comes to giving thanks, a greater degree of maturity and thoughtfulness is required. Think of a kid. Young children don't need to be reminded 
to ask for food if they're hungry. They need to be reminded how to ask for it. But by hook or by crook, they'll be sure to let you know that they are hungry and they want your help immediately. But thanking is a different story. It's something that parents constantly remind and encourage the children to have manners, to thank people for things that they receive. So obviously, repeated practice seems to be the only way that you make it the right habit. Hopefully, eventually, the value is going to be penetrate, is going to permeate the child. Now, asking, we know, is for me. People don't often forget about themselves. Thanking, though, that's not for me. That's for the other. And people sometimes, myself included, guilty of this. You know, as, as a rabbi, as involved with all our communal organizational matters, I know how important it is when somebody makes a donation, somebody gives their contribution one way or another, so how important it is to thank them. Yet it's not so easy. We sometimes forget and neglect to do so. It's not, you know, as instinctive. So, of course, it's appropriate, it's considerate, it's the right thing to do. But sometimes we need a little bit more training and maturity to do so. And the same is true with prayer. It's one thing to pray to God when things are right, things are work, sorry, when things are not right, actually, right? When things are tight, we need God's help. But why do we pray when things are smooth? Do we thank Hashem when our prayers have been answered? Like the kid, are we just self-absorbed in our own world? We forget about the people who help us. We forget about God who takes care of us, who sorts us out, who makes sure that we have all we need in our life. You know, the story about, there was a, a businessman who arranged to have a meeting with a friend on a rooftop of a certain Tel Aviv tower, very clandestine business transaction they were planning. He's waiting for over an hour. And he realizes his friend has stood him up and decided to call it a day. He approaches the door to the stairwell of this rooftop and he wants to get down. But unfortunately, he realizes he's locked out. And to make things worse, his phone doesn't even work. Battery depleted. What do they say? Desperation breeds creativity. So he opens his briefcase. He's got a couple hundred dollars in there. Starts throwing down a few hundred dollar notes and he's throwing the notes down. And of course he sees pedestrians can't believe their good luck and they're grabbing every last floating note they can. And he realizes he's out of cash and nobody's come to help him. He doesn't know what to do. He's, he's enraged. His friend didn't show up to the meeting. He's stuck on the top of this building of, of this tower in Tel Aviv. His phone battery is dead. He just wasted all this money throwing dollars down to all these ungracious fools. So instead he picks up some rocks that are there on the rooftop and he throws them down below. Of course, in no time, the police arrived and they discovered this frustrated man on the roof. What's the lesson? The moral is, it's easy to remember God when we feel that God is mistreating us, when things aren't good. How dear he! It's far harder to remember him. When God showers us with blessings. The idea, if you think about it, the penultimate blessing of the Amida is called Modim. That's where we give thanks to God. We say, Modim and we are thankful, we are grateful to you, Hashem. 
and we thank God for all the daily miracles and blessings in our lives. It's, we say this prayer each day. It's, it's a meditation that moves us from a place of self-centeredness, of entitlement, and hopefully to a space of self-transcendence, to be completely overwhelmed by this moment of, even if just for a moment, of, of, of grace, of gratitude to Hashem. The, you know, putting the kedusha, the sanctity of it aside, the modim, it's just a reminder. And you say in the morning, uh, modani. But you'll notice that in the Amida, for all <coughs> of the blessings, the chazan says it aloud, besides for kedusha. When it comes to modim, however, each person says the prayer themselves. Why? So, one of the beautiful commentaries discusses this, and he says, it's unbefitting for a servant to thank the master through a third party. Thanking is something that you have to do in person. The modim prayer isn't our only opportunity to be thankful to God. We have lots of opportunities. But like a, like a kid whose parent is constantly reminding them to think. This is the idea of Yiddishkeit and Judaism. We we have constant gratefulness reminders. We start the day with Modani, the very first words we say are thanking God. Throughout our prayers we have reminders. Before we eat food, before we drink something, even if it's just a cup of water. It's a show of gratitude. We say blessings before. And like the parent in our analogy... Judaism says there's no eating until you say thank you to God. You can't enjoy God's bounty in this world without saying a prayer. Imagine how different our lives would be if we stopped to meditate for a moment before every meal, every snack and think about God. How different we would be. Not only would it make us more grateful to God, it would make us more grateful full stop. To the farmer who sowed the fields and harvested the wheat. To the baker who turned dry flour into tasty bread. To the cashier who cheerfully put that bread into the bag when we went shopping. All the different people who, till we got the, the good we have to our spouses, to our parents, to our children, to just imagine once we open our eyes, to the perspective of humility and gratefulness. The list goes on. How many people we can be grateful for? For every aspect, for every little thing that we have in our lives. Everywhere we look, we have who to be grateful for. And this isn't the only idea, the only area where a Torah value could be used to develop our character and improve our well-being. In fact, according to, you know, this is the, the whole idea of Torah mitzvahs. That we, the words of God, refine us. Gratitude is just a good place to start. So when we say modim, we thank God for the blessings in our life. We say a blessing before we eat food. It puts us to realize how grateful we ought to be for everything we have. And so there's also the third category, the third theme of our prayers, which is praise. First three blessings, the Amida, we start off 
with praising Hashem. We thank, we praise God, His kindness to our nation over our long history. For God's infinite capacity and strength that blows the winds and fells the rain and will eventually breathe life into the dead. God's complete transcendence and unknowability. So when we asked before, does God need our praise? If God is so, if, if God is so infinite and unknowable, why on earth would He care for our praises? But if we understand what we're discussing, that prayer feeds our soul's connection with Hashem, the praise plays an important role for us, if not for God. We realize the difference between thanking and requesting. What's the difference between thanking and praising? Remember the kid? Asking is something a child does instinctively. Thanking is something the parent teaches a child to do. What about praising? Where does that fit in? Praising others isn't quite considered one of the essential manners that parents instill in their children to praise others. But what's certain is that praising another requires a far greater degree of, a, a, a much greater degree of maturity than, than thanking does. You, you've matured, you've grown, and you thank people for the good that they do for you. But praising requires the ability to appreciate the beauty, the talents, the ingenuity, the skill of something, whether or not we've benefited from it. It requires the ability to truly recognize and appreciate another for who they are. Yes, asking things of God and being mature about thanking God for the blessings that God has given us, that falls short of truly recognizing God for who He is. God is far more than a master caretaker. Praising God means valuing Hashem for what He truly is. The truth that lies at the heart of all existence. Being mindful of God's truth and allowing it to affect us will change the way that we approach our Judaism. And this is the essence of praising God. Valuing our relationship with God beyond the material benefits that that relationship brings. Why do you have a connection with your spouse? Because what you're going to get out of it? You think about the same parent-child analogy. Thanking requires a lot more maturity than asking. And as a child grows more mature, they come to appreciate all the energies that their parents invested in raising them emotionally, financially, the time investment, everything that the parents put into their children. But this is only the culmination of the parent giving to the child relationship. When the child truly matures and becomes an adult, there's a whole new relationship where the child and the parent are relative equals. Think about it. You know, we're all adults. The child becomes familiar with the parent's inner world and, and all of a sudden we're part of that adult world. And the same is true the, of our relationship with God in some way. As long as we're asking God for things and thanking Him for what has come through, we're like the child who wasn't aware that there's more to a parent than being uh, an ATM machine. Recognizing God as being with purpose and relevance beyond our material needs, that requires maturity and thought. It's a prerequisite for offering Him praise.
the inclusion of praise in our daily prayers, that forces us to think deeply about God and connect with Him in a mature way. And so, of course, we see it in our Parsha. Yaakov includes all three forms of prayer in his conversation with God. Remember, after dreaming about the angels going up and down the mountain, (coughs) sorry, up and down the ladder, and then God appears to Yaakov in his dream, and God assures him that he'll be safe from his brother Esau. And then what does it say? Ayikatz Yaakov. Yaakov woke up from his sleep. What does he say? Indeed, ah, God is present in this place. But I didn't realize. And he says, How awesome is this great place? This is the house of God. This is the gateway to heaven. Of course, this is the future, the, the location of the future temple. But when we think about it, this verse can be interpreted as a form of praise, recognizing God's greatness. Only because Yaakov perceives God's greatness does he feel ashamed that he slept in this place. God's presence, I'm sleeping. But a few sentences earlier, Yaakov makes a deal with God that we discussed before. And he says, Yaakov vowed, he said, if God will accompany me and guard me on, on my travel and give me food to eat and clothes to wear, there, what's Yaakov doing? He's asking God for his basic life necessities, for protection, for food, for clothing. So, and then he goes on about the, the charity he's going to give. Yaakov's saying he's going to reciprocate God's care by praying to God, by donating a large portion of his wealth to God. There we go. That's the expression of thanks. So my friends, we discussed the idea of the three types of prayer that appear in the Amidah are really three ways through which we connect with Hashem. Through requesting, recognizing our dependency, our reliance on Hashem, and through thanking, being that much more mature and grateful to God for the blessings that God has given us. And finally, which we start the Amidah with, our praising God, acknowledging God's greatness, instead of worrying about whether or not God needs our prayers, 